And we're missing the vote on the people that don't vote in every election, which is about 500,000 people that are likely Democrats that sit out cycles. And as long as they see us fighting and the end fighting, guess what? They're not gonna bother to come out. If we can't get it together, what makes us think that we can get them to, to, to support us? We can't. All right, kids. I remembered, uh, uh, and uh, welcome in. It's uh, another uh, episode of your uh, favorite weekly politics podcast. It's Alabama Politics This Week. Josh Moon and David Person. How are things, David? Things are good. You know, uh, rolling along. It's yeah. a, it's a, it's a busy time for personally. It's a busy time in the nation. Mm-hmm. Uh, though I will say, uh, you know, we 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 do seem to be. Uh, no thanks to the NRA, and and I would argue to the Republican Party, we continue to be beset by these horrible mass shootings. And no. and of course, we we record on Thursdays. So last night, yes, Wednesday night of this week, you know, this there was this horrible, or Wednesday afternoon, evening, I guess, mm-hmm. there was this horrible mass shooting in Memphis, Tennessee. That, yeah. Uh, you know, just, just this crazy monster of a man uh, is just going around just randomly killing people. Just it, it, no rhyme or reason as far as we know, just 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 doing it willy-nilly as, as the old folks used to say, and it's just horrible. He terrorized the whole city. Mm-hmm. And uh, and yet even after these sorts of in- incidents, and 19 years old, by the way, 19-year-old guy, mm-hmm. right? Which is also part of the insanity to me and, and probably means he's deranged or or whatever. But, yeah. uh, but that doesn't excuse what he did, nor does it uh, explain why we as a nation continue to be so cavalier about what to do about guns and mass shootings in our country. Yep. Yeah, no, you're 100 percent right. I mean, uh, uh, over the weekend in Birmingham, there were seven seven people killed over the weekend in yeah. Birmingham. Uh, yeah, you know, and uh, and several others shot. Uh, you know, and and uh, they've had uh, several children shot. Uh, I want to say there's a two year old shot yesterday, uh, which uh, Wednesday. Um, and I mean, everybody's got a gun, and the and the access, the ease of access to weapons, uh, you know, is is just. It's mind blowing. I mean, it really is mind blowing. There is no, there is no limit to the weapons you can obtain for a very small amount of money, um, and uh, yeah, and the ease with which felons and you know uh, people that we know should not have guns, uh, right. you know, the ease with which they can obtain them is how. I mean, I, I saw I, after the Memphis. Uh, shooting, you know, where uh, people were were rightfully scared out of their minds, you know, in a major city, you know, they, people were essentially locked down because a, a madman was running around killing people, um, yeah. and you know it. There was oh well, we've got a we he should have been locked up. We should have locked him up and thrown away the key, and uh, you know this never should have happened in a and nobody saw thought 
well, how the hell did this guy get a gun so easy? You know, mm-hmm. I mean, why, mm-hmm. why is it so easy for this guy to go out and get the weapons that are required to just drive around and shoot and kill people? And, um, you know, why is there not an, a better check on this? Uh, you know, maybe he should have been in prison, but I know for certain he shouldn't have had a weapon. And so yeah. how did yeah. how did he come about this weapon so easily or weapons? I'm assuming uh, that he, he had more than one, I'm guessing. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I guess so. You know, no, and everybody wants to. Well, we're going to lock up human beings forever, but nobody even mentioned uh, the, of the Republican leadership in Tennessee. They uh, even mentioned that maybe we should do something about the the access to these weapons uh, that yeah. are out, that's out there. I mean, at a point, you're right, man. It's it's off the charts insanity that we keep pretending as though this is not happening. And, you know, yeah. I, I believe it was Bill Maher a while back that said, you know, if if ketchup were responsible for a quarter of the deaths, uh, you know, that handguns are, we would be like, what the hell's going on with ketchup? Get that off the shelves. You know, exactly. You know, and exactly. it's just, and I, let's understand the constitutional issues with this. And I understand the, the second amendment and things, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't mean what you think it does never did. But mm-hmm. at the same time, I understand where our courts have gone with this and have uh, basically transformed the the intent of that Second Amendment over the course of time into what it is today. And so I, I know where the legal standings are and all of that, and that people believe they have these rights, which they were never intended to have. But here we are. And I, I, I just there what we are doing, it, you put it in any other context. And, and and substitute firearms for anything else, and people would say, "Well, damn man, that's crazy. Why you, why yeah. would you do that?" Or, or or just compare it to cars and driving. Look mm-hmm. at all of the precautions that we apply to those. You got to get a license. You got to yeah. be a certain age. You got to wear seat belts. You got to have insurance. You got to obey strict driving laws. I mean, all of these things that, and, and it is policed, mm-hmm. you know, in, in most areas still, even though, you know, they're not making as many uh, traffic stops, it seems like to me, as they used to when I was a kid mm-hmm. growing up in Chicago. But nonetheless, you know, in, you know, it's still police. Driving is still policed in our nation. Yeah. And yet when it comes to gun usage and the, and as you're saying, the acquiring of weapons, you know, we're just like, oh, yeah, whatever. Uh, yeah. Hey, why don't go to the candy store and get some Snickers bars and M&Ms. And, oh, yeah, you can get a pistol, too. Yeah. I, and, of course, I'm being facetious, but it's not it's not far removed from the truth. No, no, it's not. Listen, I, we uh, did a story. I think I've told this story on, on here before. But, uh, you know, we were doing uh, Montgomery had a high number of murders one year. And when I was working for the advertiser. And so I went over uh, and. Uh, we would go to to different scenes where shootings had been uh, had taken place, and uh, and and talk to the people around uh, where the shootings were, and and ask them, you know, their opinions on what's going on, what's happening, why is there so much gun violence all of a sudden uh, this year? Um, and one of the places was outside of a housing project in Montgomery, and uh, and so I went into the into the housing project to talk to the folks that were that were there, there because everybody was outside, kind of watching what was taking place, and, and so I just kind of made my rounds talking to people about what was happening, and uh, there was an older lady uh that was uh, sitting on her porch and i you know sat down next to her and we talked for a while and and she said i'll tell you uh the problem here is that there's a f- lot of fights and now you can get you can get a gun for five dollars uh 
And I said, well, I said, you know, how realistic is that is, you know, $5. And she said, baby, come here. And she got up and she took me and we walked around and uh, she said, give me $5. And she, she handed me a handgun. Uh, I mean, we, there was basically a transaction that was made. Uh, I mean, you know, for $5 and not, listen, was it, uh, you know, some, some great, piece of weaponry. No, it was not. But it was, you know, it was a handgun that, that could have been used to to kill somebody, you know? So you're saying you watched her take your five dollars and go get a gun. Yes. Good Lord. Yeah. I mean it's and it uh it's it's um you know it's it's that and that's what I'm saying. It's it's that's there's that sort of ease of it. And and I don't even know for a lot of people if they're uh, if it's that even that complicated, uh, you know, there's just there's so many firearms around, uh, you know, illegal or whatever. Um, and it's it's to the point where we, we've got to do something. We've got to We've got to figure out a way to get some of these guns off the streets and and out of circulation um, and, you know, buy back or donate programs or whatever are, are not really getting it yeah. done. Um, yeah. And and it's, we're going to have to pass some laws. And, and you can't tell me that the average American does not believe that uh, universal background checks, uh, training course that that you're required to take before you can purchase a firearm and own a permit uh, to carry a firearm, uh, and uh, a registry in which we keep track of the guns and the ammunition that's purchased. No, I, I don't think I, I guarantee you that that better than seventy percent of Americans believe that that we should have those things. In addition to a, a ban on assault type weapons, uh, you know, weapons of uh, that are used for for war purposes and aren't used for anything else, and. I, I just think that th- those things are, uh, are are something that we could do, and and in a matter of a couple of years, significantly cut into the the amount of weapons that are out there. Uh, if you're oh, able yeah. to confiscate these things, yeah. Well, wasn't there? Uh, and I, my memory of this is a little vague, but I think uh, prior to uh, the national. Uh, the overturning of the national ban on on assault type weapons. Uh, I want to say was this during the Reagan era or something? There was a there was a, a noticeable decrease in the number of killings. Yes, that occurred. I can't remember all the details, but it seems as though once whatever that ban was that expired, once it expired, then we saw the numbers come up again. So we know what you're saying is true. Yeah, and, and the thing that got uh, that killed everybody about that was as better than seventy percent of uh, of the population was in favor of extending the assault weapons ban. Nobody was out, nobody was off put by this, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody there, there were no groups of people out screaming to keep this. The only people that were screaming to keep this were the NRA and gun manufacturers uh, that were funding these politicians and and they let it lapse. You know, it was as simple as not taking action and and they let that that gun ban lapse and it's it's cost thousands of lives uh, since then. It really has it's cost thousands of lives and and there's no there's no sense yeah. in it. I mean, it's just you know, there, there are common sense things and people love to talk about common sense. And this is one of the areas that, uh, you know, the only argument that anybody ever makes for keeping AR-15s and these other assault type weapons is, well, you use them for wild boar, for hunting, for hunting hogs, you know, uh, on your properties and things. You really? I mean, that's that's what you're trading for human lives. You know, uh, I mean, it's, it's and, and is that the only thing that will kill wild boars? Yeah. I mean, am I? 
I mean, is that you got to have an assault weapon? Oh, yeah, listen, there you, there's, that's only AR-15s. They don't go down for anything else. Uh, so <laughs> it's I mean, it's just dumb. And at this point, you know, it's a uh, it's like the people that ride around with a with a uh, rebel flag on their, uh, you know, attached to their bumper or whatever. You know, it's, it's just for show. It's just a show of rebellion against, you know, the man or against whatever PC culture or whatever, however they want to term it. And that's that's what owning an AR-15 is now. It's just something to, for you to post on Facebook about, you know, and, and to make it seem as though, you, you know, you're tough or something when everybody knows it's just because you've got a tiny penis. And so um, <laughs> it's, uh, you know. That's all it is. I mean, uh, listen, that's like uh, in every case. Is that what it is? Oh, 100%, man. You're not. Listen, nobody, (laughs) nobody with a regular size penis is posting pictures of an assault weapon. All right. That's just not happening. That's all. It's not. All right. I love there was a guy. I can't remember his name. He was an Australian guy uh, that Uh that did a a great bit about these people who are talking about need it for protection. And like, really? Protection? I haven't seen you posting any pictures with a deadbolt, uh, you know, or a nice security Uh, door. Uh, You know, it's it's not. You're posting it because you think it makes you feel seem manly and tough. And you know what I mean? And it's (laughs) it's stupid. I mean, it's not fine with firearms. I'm not scared of them at all. I've grown up with, you know, my whole life. And it's it's not right. something that scares me, uh, but at the same time, I don't want you idiots to have some of this stuff, you know. And and we all know uh, we do. We know that these people that are that are crazy, and most of them are the ones posting this on Facebook. You know, I went to a to a barbecue place the other day, and a dude hops out of his jacked up truck. I mean, you want to talk about? I mean, this guy must have an inverted penis. I mean, it hops out of a jacked up truck with a gun strapped to his hip. To go in uh-huh. and make his barbecue order. I mean, how do you not feel like an asshole putting that on every day? You know what I mean? How is it uh-huh. possible that you could strap that on? If you're not a police officer or some sort of law enforcement, how 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 do you you know what I mean? How can you Yeah, no, I get it. I get yeah, it's a cowboy fantasy at the very least, if yeah. not the inverted penis uh, <laughs> syndrome. Yeah. I yeah. mean it's it's yeah. just I just don't understand how you could put that uh-huh. on every day. <laughs> And, and not funny. just feel like what you know, man. I am, I am a total asshole right now. I mean, you know what I mean. It's just like I yeah. don't. It just, just makes you feel un. I just don't know how you don't feel embarrassed by it. I really don't. I don't. I mean, I don't, it's you know to go to the grocery store, you know, with the gun strapped to your hip, uh, you know, right. to pick out a cut of meat or whatever. But right, uh, you right. know, Allison, I. I just to me and listen, there are people I think that own some you know weapons and things like that, and they and they just treat them like they do screwdrivers and stuff, and that's what we're mm. supposed to do. Is it's a right. tool They're for tools. a job, yeah. you know? That's right. It's a tool that's to go hunting place. with. It's a tool to protect your home with. It's a tool right. tool to protect yourself. It's not something that you're proud of. You're not taking pictures with your drill. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's just stop it are you screwdriver yeah yeah exactly Um, that's funny i love it i love uh, it but you know i'll say this though i think this kind of goes into uh into what i wrote about this week about Mm -hmm. the the lack of policies from from the right i think that this issue the gun issue and appealing to this macho sense of just absolute really horseshit uh ideal of of guns and things um 
you know, that's one of the, the Republican ways of, of doing business where you you either criticize what's going on or you make this emotional appeal or you play to outrage. Uh, those are the three tactics that they have um, and, you know, are outrage and fear, I guess, are the, are the two, kind of a combo that they, they use. Right. And, and it's it, it's, you know, worked for them, for them getting elected, I would say it's done nothing for the people who are electing them. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, except for the wealthy people, of course, that, that keep getting the tax breaks. But um, yeah, you know, otherwise they have no policy. And and you know, I, I wrote the, what I wrote about was what's happened since the abortion issue. You know, they, they've been this yeah. dog chasing this car for fifty years on the abortion issue, and um, it's they've caught it now. And they quite clearly don't know what the hell to do with this car. Uh, and now the car is is continuing to back up and run over them. <laughs> you know, it's just mm-hmm. uh, they are getting smoked in a lot of ways. And rightfully so. I mean, this is not you know, this is not a political matter for a lot of people. This is life and death. I mean, we had yeah. there was a story of a lady in Nashville last week that sat in a hospital room with an ectopic pregnancy that was literally killing her. <laughs> and the doctors Went back and forth with lawyers for the hospital for like 10 hours trying to determine Mm. what in the hell to do here. Could they do it legally or not? And finally they did and saved her life. But, I mean, what are we doing, man? You know, and that's that's where we're at, though, with this when all you are is contrary. And when all you mm-hmm. are is is the opposition party and you never have an idea and they don't they don't have an idea for anything. And if you doubt that, tell me what they are. What's the idea for health care, education, uh, you know, the, the, the economy? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what are they going to do to fight to fight inflation? You know, what was the idea? It was nothing. It was, hey, that Biden, he's caused inflation. OK, <laughs> what, what, and what's the next step? Yeah. You know, well, and, and that that was one of the I think the, the things I liked most about your column when you did that, that kind of recitation of the of the issues facing our nation. And then, you know, you, you raise these questions. So what are they doing about pollution? And you put a you put a ha ha ha, meaning they're not doing anything. No. I mean, that's laughable to even to even think about that. And you're right, just right down the line, there's a deficit of ideas, there's a deficit of of uh policy making or or even attempts to negotiate plans. Mm-hmm. You know, there's just a deficit of that. They've been uh they've been in this sort of um you know, just uh opposition mindset. You know, yeah. and it was typified, I think, uh and really came to a head when uh, after uh, President Obama was elected mm-hmm. uh, the first time, and you know, out trots Mitch McConnell saying, "Our number one yeah. objective, our sole objective, is to make sure that he is not elected again." Yep, that was that was his that was their platform mm-hmm. from that point on. That was it. Yeah. So they they really truly became the party of no, or even hell no, just no. We're not going to do it. Hell no, we're not going to do it, and that's just the way it is. And we're going to oppose every single idea, every single policy, even things that they had been sympathetic to, or even that had emerged from their own uh, think tanks and and institutions, mm-hmm. like the Affordable Health Care Act, <laughs> yeah, which was a which was a Republican idea, yeah. Yeah, grew out of the think tank, a Republican think tank. It was pushed by them just a few years prior. Had the guy that they ran for president, 
It basically Mitt implemented Romney. it in his state. Mitt Romney. Yeah. That's right. That's right. So you're right. I mean, it's uh, they, they, they really, and, and the country has not benefited from it. And then on top of that, you layer on top of that, this sort of, uh, this sort of cult that has emerged around Donald Trump. And, and you really, I think, have a, a, a country that really is, and I know this sounds like hyperbole to some people, but I think it's true. I absolutely believe this. We are on the precipice of our collapse. I really believe that. And when I say our collapse, I'm talking primarily, well, first and foremost, I'm talking about the collapse of our democracy, of a free mm-hmm. functioning society. But then, but then what comes along with that, I think is other things, economic collapse and, and other things. I'm, I'm actually concerned about living here. Mm-hmm. I mean, what does the future portend for us as Americans based on the direction things are going in now? And I know people that have moved out of the country, you know, who have moved to South America and and while I'm not I'm not ready to to move out of the country, but I got to tell you, I'm really concerned about the future of this country and and what and what what it what state it's going to be in, you know, for my son. And if he has children, his children. Yeah. Oh, listen, your daughter. I feel you know? I think that's a that's 100 percent fair. You know, and I think that you would be crazy at watching the events of the past several years not to feel that way. Um, you know, and it's even, I'll tell you this, it's an, e- I'm, well, I mentioned before we came on that um, the you know, former president, uh, Barack Obama and, and Michelle Obama were at the White House for their portrait unveilings. Um, and um, the stark contrast between them um, and our current predicament, I guess. Um, it was, I mean, it, 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 it stopped me for, for a few minutes. I mean, because they are, you know, you listen to them speak and, and you remember what, why, why he was elected to begin with, uh, why he was reelected, uh, why he was so successful. And listen, you can listen to your Republican friends if you want to, but there's, there probably has not been a more successful president in your lifetime, no matter how old you are, uh, than Barack Obama, uh, what he did for the country and, you know, what he what he pulled us out of uh, at the time, uh, the hope that he inspired in a generation of, of young people, um, the way he handled things with such grace and, and just intelligence and um, the way he went about business and life and you know, uh, eight scandal free years as a, uh, you know, just a, a fantastic role model for kids as what a father and husband ought to be, uh, in, in such a, you know, what the way they handled themselves in that spotlight with that pressure, without amount of hate focused on them. Um, you know, most of it just simply because of the color of their skin, um, was, uh, honestly, it's astounding. I mean, to, to think back what they went through and then to listen to them talk and to still carry that hopefulness that they have uh, and to constantly, constantly talk about optimism and hope and uh, and pushing people to be better and, and to try to uplift uh, people that are historically in this country uh, depressed and, and stepped on every day. Um, it, it's man, the, the, the speeches that they gave. With that, especially Michelle Obama's, uh, and I, you know, I know she doesn't want to run, and she's made that clear a lot of times. But 
Uh, God, I wish you would. Um, and, you know, I'd vote for her three or four times, uh, you know, just because I mean, it's what Democrats do. We, we vote for people three or four times. And so, yeah, that's what um, they tell us, right? yeah, yeah. Uh, and but it's, you know, I, I miss that. I miss the I, I miss that we used to place such great emphasis on intelligence uh, and education and uh, and being smart and and less so on being a bully um, and and saying really dumb shit all, all the time like uh, they do now and uh, I, I just you know I just that it, it just caught me you know when when listening to them talk about where we are now and you know we we should be better. Than that, I, yeah, you know, man. you don't have to like yeah. all the democratic ideas. Hell, I don't like all the democratic ideas sometimes, mm-hmm. you know. But mm-hmm. um, you know, and I certainly don't like all the Republican ones. Um, but mm-hmm. you know, I don't, I don't think that your basic Republican in this country is a horrible human being who I have to fight with. You know, right? Or, um, or demonize yeah. as, as as the ultimate evil or something right. like that. You know, the um, the the when the Obamas were elected. You would have thought that um, that uh, you know the nation had elected some caricature like uh, George Jefferson and Wheezy or something. Yeah, I mean, right? You know, it was just the the way that the the, the way that people were talking and 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 not just not just after they were elected, but even leading up to it. You know, it was really, <clears throat> pardon me, as a black person, it was really offensive to to see that, knowing it, and so much of it was you know, or the vast majority of it was really racially tinged, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, and, and what was so laughable about that and what it really shows you uh, is that uh, a lot of white people still really don't know and understand black people. Mm-hmm. They just don't. You know, they, they, they see caricatures on television whether it's those really comedic caricatures like Wheezy and George or or whether it's the characters on power who are who are dealing drugs and 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 running drug empires you know they they see these extremes and that's right. where they put us not realizing that the vast majority of us um are are really in the middle whether we're hard working People at the lowest ends of the social economic ladder, whether we're uh, hardworking people in the middle, mm-hmm. middle class, you know, educators and preachers and, you know, th- those sorts of folks, or whether they're people at the upper end of the economic spectrum, you know, as doctors, attorneys, college presidents, what have you, you know, they just, uh, they don't seem to realize that we're not these extremes on either end. Right. And so, uh, you know, and so they try to treat the Obamas like that's what they were when we're really talking about in terms of education, you know, uh, we're really talking about, uh, you know, two highly educated and accomplished people and, and Mrs. Obama you know, was not only highly educated, but really had been a corporate executive. Yeah. You know, coming into the White House as a corporate executive. Yeah. You know, so it was just really, it was offensive. And then at the same time, sometimes it was a little bit laughable <laughs> to, to see how they were trying to portray them. Yeah, no, you're, you're right. And and it's, 
Um, I've said it a bunch of times. We we all pretty much want the same things. Uh, you know, you want you want a decent job. You can pay your bills, send your kids to a good school, make sure everybody can sit down at dinner and, and have some laughs and not be worried constantly and not have somebody stepping on your head when you, you know, when you're just trying to make a living. And and those are the things that pretty much every every family in America wants. And it doesn't it does not make a damn what color your skin is. OK, that's yeah. just what you want. And and people. You know, they, they assign these things and they, they make it seem as though because of the color of someone's skin that they behave a certain way or they act a certain way. When in reality, what the behavior is, is usually the result of the treatment that has been historically received by, by groups of people. OK. And and that is you know, I heard a, I listened to the, the Breakfast Club uh, a lot. And there was a there was a gentleman on yeah. there. And I, I can't remember his name. And, uh, and I wish I could. But he, he talked about, you know, uh, the way in. Uh, the criticism comes from in uh, towards the black community a lot of times because they uh, people will covet certain things, you know, of uh, uh, BMWs or, or shoes or whatever, and and usually that is traced back to they believe that those items uh, project self worth in some way because their self worth has been so damaged over the course of uh, of the treatment so, by, that they have received, and and I mean if you think about it in those terms. That of course makes sense. It makes much more sense than oh, that person is has black skin, so he likes to buy BMWs. What the you know? What are you talking about? You know what I mean? You're, right. It's so it's so dumb. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever that that the color of your skin impacts your thinking or any way uh, it influences uh, who you are more so than the treatment that you have historically received from people. And uh, and that's you know. When when you look back at the the Obamas, to me, it was an opportunity that we missed as a country uh, to dramatically change the way we we viewed everybody uh, and to hold up to the to everyone out there. This is what could be accomplished if we simply remove some of these roadblocks and we simply stop with this stupid racism over just dumb things, you know? And, and it just, uh, it it really, it really bothers me that, that it it instead went the opposite way and we ended up with this an orange moron. So um, (laughs) speaking of, Skin color problems. Um, but uh, all right, listen, we're going to we're going to get out of here and uh, we're going to come back uh, with uh, uh, House Minority Leader Anthony Daniels, who is, we're going to talk to him about, um, you know, how to uh, how he is going about selecting some of these candidates uh, that he has running in uh, various districts who who surprisingly have a chance to flip some seats. So, mm-hmm. all right, we'll be back in a minute. Alabama politics this week. I'm David Person with Alabama Politics This Week. You know, you listen to me and Josh every week, and we have a blast as we talk about Alabama politics and culture and as we interview newsmakers and journalists about Alabama politics and culture. Thanks for your support of this great podcast, and I hope that you will continue to not only listen, but to share it with your friends and also give us a rating on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you're listening to it. Thanks a lot. All righty. 
Welcome back. Alabama Politics This Week, Josh Moon, David Person, and we are happy now to again uh, have on House Minority Leader Anthony Daniels. Um, came in complaining, as usual, from the start. Uh, apparently, we didn't have enough stuff for him in the green room. And so we didn't we didn't meet all the stipulations of his rider, apparently. So pick out all the green uh, M&Ms for him. Were there green yeah. M&Ms in the bowl? Yeah, the Is green M&Ms are in the bowl. And so we, uh, he come in complaining. Uh, but to, listen, that's, you know, we, we do appreciate you taking the time. I know you're a busy, busy man, uh, you know, flying around to Aspen and all these other places that you go to with the elites of the world. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I know that uh, you have been very busy, so thank you for coming in. Not a problem. Thank you for having me. Yeah. I listen, one of the things that we wanted to talk about um is uh and really the 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 primary reason we wanted to get you on is because uh as I have mentioned several times and I'm sure people are are getting tired of me mentioning it is that you have had a lot of success. Uh not just this election cycle but in election cycles in the past um uh, identifying races in which Democrats in this state and that's that's a tough that's a tough identifier uh, that where, where Democrats can have uh, some success against Republicans and also then going out and recruiting candidates who could challenge those Republicans. Um, and this has been a particular issue statewide for the Democratic Party, uh, not just in this election cycle, but in election cycles previous to this, uh, ever since the Republicans took over uh, in, in 2010. It's, it's been a growing problem. Um, so I guess I, the, the easiest question is to just say, what are you doing? Uh, why, why are you having success at this? Well, I, I would tell you that uh, oftentimes you got there are a number of things you have to look at. Uh, it's sometimes tougher in places that uh, to to recruit because I think in twenty after the twenty ten elections, uh, you saw uh, a prohibition being placed upon uh, individuals that are going through their state retirement system, uh, retirement system of Alabama. And so at that point, mm -hmm. you cut off a significant number of opportunities for individuals that uh, have a servant's heart and, and, and that want to serve. So now there is no steady flow or pipeline of individuals that are working in the public sector that can actually qualify to run for the state legislature because they don't have to make a choice between their, their job that pays benefits and, re and have retirement versus a job that doesn't provide any retirement and you have to pay full price for your benefits. And so the good doesn't outweigh, uh, you know, doesn't outweigh the bad uh, from a family perspective. So I can understand that. But this law was passed after the 2010 elections in order to cut off the pipeline for Democrats uh, to uh, have a steady flow of candidates running for office. So it forces you to have to become a little bit more creative about your approach. And knowing, to me, it's almost like uh, being a, a football recruiter in football or any other area where you're trying to recruit top talent. You have to identify the the factors that makes them uh, the uh, that makes them stronger. Uh, the, the 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 factor that uh, qualifies them for the position, uh, and the factor that 
uh, of whether or not they have a network that could also help support them from a fundraising standpoint, knowing that there's no real overwhelming financial infrastructure on the Democratic side. And so those are things that you look at. And then sometimes with Mm -hmm. redistricting, when you're doing that during a redistricting year, uh, it puts you in a very tough position um, because uh, when if a person finds out someone's running against them, they'll redraw the lines, draw that person out of the district. So what you have to do is you have to be very subtle um, about your approach. Uh, and you have to uh, start the recruitment process uh, a few uh, years out. Now, you know, we'll have these lines uh, for for some time so you can recruit without that being a barrier. But when you're recruiting, when redistricting happens, which is the second time for us, we had to redraw the lines back right uh, during the time that I became minority leader. Uh, and then mm-hmm. we just had to redraw the lines again for a second cycle. So you're redrawing the lines before two consecutive cycles that's outside of the norm because typically the lines are drawn every every 10 years. And so redrawing every 10 years. And so it puts you at a disadvantage when you're having to scramble and find individuals several months before qualifying deadlines close. So it puts you, mm-hmm. it's, it's, you're scrambling. And so what you have to do is like shooting in the dark. You have to identify a lot of uh, individuals, a number of individuals within your pipeline is almost like recruiting for a job or recruiting for sports. Uh, do they fit this profile? Um, and looking at all the individuals that fit the profile that you're looking for and what you need uh, to make your caucus stronger is kind of the approach that you take. And then the other thing, you have to be realistic. You know, is this a district that could be a winnable district or not? Uh, oftentimes, right. any either political party wants to recruit individuals just to recruit them. Well, you recruit in places where you have a fighting chance, not just recruiting in places where you don't. I know that Democrats want to see someone on the ballot, but at the end of the day, you have to build momentum. Otherwise, you're going to spread the resources out so thin to where you're not going to have any success. And so you just got to be uh, very conscious of that. And then for me, uh, the difference this cycle for me than last cycle is that I was focusing on recruitment in general. This cycle, I'm focusing where I think we have a fighting chance uh, and as well as uh, making certain that the candidates have a network that they can pull from just in case there's no strong um, party infrastructure to support them. And so that those are factors that you have to be realistic about. And, and then you can't be everything to everybody. Uh, And that was what I did in 18, but I'm not doing that in 22. You mentioned, you know, a couple of times there about, um, you know, the the lack of of party infrastructure and and funding. And, um, and, you know, I I don't want to get into into criticizing anybody for anything. I mean, it is what it is. There's been a lot of there's been a lot of issues, um, not necessarily from inside the party. There have been a lot of things that were that were done by Republicans. Uh, you know, some would say smart political things uh, that that were done uh, by Republicans to to make sure that Democrats couldn't have success uh, in terms of fundraising and, and having access to funds uh, from various business groups and what have you. Um, but you know, is there in, in your mind is there a way 
out of this uh, hole uh, that, that the party is in. And again, that's not a, a criticism of the party necessarily or, or party leadership or anybody. But is, it, is, there, a, is there an avenue out of this hole uh, that, that seems to drag, be such a drag because you can't get that funding that you need to be competitive in, in races that you might be competitive in if you had enough funding? I think so. I think um, there's always a way out. I think that there are issues that have been uh, that we're taking on at this particular juncture regarding allowing an individual that uh, that's mentally ill or that have been denied a right to have access to uh, a gun uh, to be able to circumvent mm-hmm. the permitting process. It's issues like that or issues like not having an exception for rape and incest and very little to no clarity on the life of the mother that provides more more energy uh, for the Democratic side. So oftentimes you find yourself uh, in a situation to where there are issues out there that actually help uh, help our party more than we do. Uh, I think that the party, from a party perspective, um, we have to stop falling in love and start falling in line uh, with a strategy and everyone unite behind that strategy. Uh, and, and, and move forward that way. Uh, the petty infighting and the clicks doesn't really help. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, our role should be whoever's in, in leadership and empower the party. That should not determine whether we get where, whether we, we're active or not. We should be, we'll be, we should be consistently active and engaged in the party regardless of who's at the head of the party. Uh, and those are things, that, the emotional things is what we as as democrats have been falling victim to and falling for uh instead of and when you look at the other side i don't see anyone perfect on the other side but but they're still falling in line and so until we realize that we're only going to be able to get there together then you're going to continue to have the lack of infrastructure the other piece is all these national groups and, and donors giving to places that they're already winning in. Like, hell, you can't win anymore in, in Cal- uh, California and New York. I mean, let's let's be real. You don't have to do anything in those states to win. But instead mm-hmm. of, well, it's the, the Democratic Legislative Campaign Committee, uh, who I attend some of their conference every now and then, they're focusing on swing states, states and, 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 and districts that are a uh, place that are already Democrat. Well, if everyone parked their car in the same place, who could take the credit for the success? Everybody wants to be a winner, but no one wants to rebuild for the future. And rebuilding is long, it's hard, uh, hard, and it's uncomfortable. But you have to do it. Mm-hmm. Anthony, I, I love what you just said, and I think you're, you're so right. Um, you, I mean, it's just... <laughs> it, and it's, it's very frustrating, I think, as a... As a as a liberal, as a liberal voter who, you know, has uh, voted, you know, primarily uh, Democratic all my life, uh, you know, it's just very frustrating to to see the party, uh, and I'm talking about the National Party right now, uh, and and the national and the system that supports the National Party, uh, seeming to just abandon Alabama. Uh, and now I don't, I don't go out outside of the state, 
uh, and circulate in political circles to the extent you do. So this is my perspective. But I'd like to know yours as somebody who is, you know, traveling the country in democratic circles, uh, you know, talking hardcore politics. Is it your sense that that is indeed what has happened, that that Alabama's just sort of been written off by the national party and, and the support systems out there for Democrats. Absolutely. I, I think that it showed in 2017 that well, you had all these outside groups coming into Alabama to stand up, uh, to really stand up organizations uh, during an election. <clears throat> but why did we have to have a candidate like Aurora Moore for them to do that? And then once they, the election was over with, there was no sustainability on the ground within the state, so you couldn't repeat it again. And so that's a problem. Mm. Um, I personally, you know, for me, uh, it's very difficult uh, to stay in this game and having to spend 90% of my time uh, away from home um, when I have small children and a wife and a family at home and you know, go around and, and, and ask people throughout the state and throughout the country to su- support Alabama when they're the folks that are advising them are advising them counter to what I'm articulating to them. And it's because we need to start firing these folks that have not had victories. We keep hiring the consultants that's given us the same playbook, the same strategies every mm. cycle. Why is it that we had to have a Donald Trump to win an election? It wasn't anything that we did. It was something that they did. Until we start learning how to play from behind and build long-term infrastructure and win incrementally instead of thinking that you have to flip a chamber in order to go into a state, you're never going to get close. And at some point, the other side, they're going to focus, start focusing their money on the few states that we're targeting and start competing with us in those spaces because we've ceded or conceded to them these other places like Alabama and other places that have a demographic shift that can potentially be on our side long term. But if we don't feed it, it'll die. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like I like the concept that you just articulated incremental victories or incremental wins. I think that that absolutely has to be part of the mindset if we're going to shift the paradigm. The other question I wanted to ask you is um, is a is a question about where the Alabama uh, Democratic Party stands uh, in light of this uh, recent election of new leaders. What's your assessment on where we are and and what can happen, should happen moving forward? So, so for me, I, I think that. Um, first of all, it is a disaster to have an election of new leadership right before an election, months before an election, because there's not, mm-hmm. if there's not a strategic plan that has been adopted by the members of the committee that must be fl- followed and executed throughout, then the person, new person that comes in has no obligation to that, Right. And so when you that's what that's the risk you take when you have an election, a changeover in power before an election, uh, a, an election of people that's supposed to be working for you during an election. So I think that there's certainly an, an interruption in continuity that that we have to look at. 
But to be honest with you, I prepare my infrastructure as if no one is in, in, in place anywhere. So I don't, that stuff doesn't necessarily impact me from a house perspective, state house perspective, because I build infrastructures not waiting for Superman or Superwoman to come save us. So we build out infrastructure in, in general. But for the other individuals that are not house focused, uh, I do think that that's a problem for them um, because there is no, you know, you have a changeover in staff, you have a changeover uh, in infrastructure. Uh, you don't know exactly, you know, you have a changeover in contract, bending services, all those things. So you have to essentially start back over. And how long will it take a person to start over to start back getting those contracts going to, to say, oh, I want to do this and not do that? I think that's first. That's an issue. All right. I don't mind a, an election happening, but I just think right before three months before an actual very important election. That's crazy. Number two, yeah, um, yeah. I think that um, what we have what has to happen right now is uh, there has to be a meeting of the minds to figure out, okay, here's what our responsibility is going to be uh, to support the efforts of House or can, uh, a county commission or judicial candidates in different counties. Here's what the local party's uh, support is going to be. Here's how we're going to resource some of these things. Uh, despite ha it being kind of packed to pack, uh, the party has rules that are different from county parties. So here's where we're going to apply the flexibility and, and, and resource and take this off your hands. I say, so those are the things I think must happen uh, fairly quickly in order to give some of these candidates a fighting chance. Uh, but I think, I think that's just a reason. It's a reasonable request um, that no matter who's at the, at the top of the ticket, I think that um, I'm certain that um, uh, Chairman Kelly will be able to kind of articulate to you exactly where he wants to go, what he wants to do, what he plans to do. And I don't want to certainly don't want to speak for the party. Um, I can only speak from a caucus standpoint and, and, and as to what we're right. we're focusing on. Um, but we're also uh, uh, having conversations with other people uh, in places where I have uh, house candidates. But outside of that, as I've indicated before, I have no interest in going outside of that. Okay. Okay. One one other quick question. Um, speaking of uh, Chairman Kelly, uh, I was I was on a call uh, some weeks ago uh, that uh, Chairman Kelly was on, and um, I won't I won't divulge all of the discussion because I I'm not sure that it was uh, it, you know I I don't I don't want to uh, violate any confidences, but I will say that I think um, that. His assessment of the financial state of the Alabama Democratic Party was very stark and grave. I think it's fair to say, and 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 media reports seem to uh, validate that or corroborate that. Um, do you have any kinds of? I mean, would you? Whatever your knowledge is, and I know you've got a lot more insight into this than I do, uh, but whatever your knowledge base is, what 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 do you think, and what do you, how do you feel? So I'll, I'll be honest, I've not studied the state of the party financing. I do know that from a DNC standpoint, there are certain obligations that the DNC 
uh, had committed to from a party standpoint. Uh, I think that if uh, those are concerned, there should be a conversation with the DNC about uh, kind of either a six or a six month or a year long commitment to get through the election cycle and to build some infrastructure post election to figure out kind of more of a six sigma assessment following the election as to what's sustainable long term and what's not and where, where we should prioritize our effort, our, our focus uh, before the next cycle. Uh, because you won't have statewide elections for four years after November 8th, right? Mm -hmm. So therefore, you're able to work election day backwards from 2024 to backing up to 20 January 2023, I mean, 2026 to January 2023 to figure out uh, where you should focus your attention. So uh, and what type of financial commitment that's going to take. That way it'll tell you exactly how much cash you need to bring in and that's excess to what the national party is allocating for your state. And so I think um, I think there's a there's always it's always good to have a conversation about it, but the conversations are don't move make any moves for me. I mean, when people are having conversations, still having conversations today and the election took place four weeks ago, um, it's time to 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 see what actions are going on, what's actionable uh, that has has transpired since then. And so I think uh, you go through the, the, the large donor list to figure out, uh, you know, who you could tap to support you long term. What does that look like? So I think you got to have a plan and you can't say, well, we'll have a plan after November 8th. You, know, you may not have anybody left after November 8th if you, at this rate. And so we just got to got to communicate now. I've not received a call from a party standpoint, never not not had a conversation uh, regarding or any, you know, any solicitation of advice or anything like that. So I'm not certain as to what's going on. Okay. And what financial state they're in. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah, I, I, I wanted to go back. I, you, you mentioned, you know, um, kind of everybody uh, getting on the same page. And um, this has always been my frustration uh, throughout this, no matter what it was, um, you know, where I know Joe Reed is a, is a villain for a lot of people. Um, but what I've always said to people is I don't agree with Kay Ivey, John Wall and, uh, Greg Reed and Mac McCutcheon on basically 90% of what, uh, of their ideas for how to govern this state. I agree with Joe Reed and most Democrats, I think, would hold the same position on not on 95 percent or better of his ideas on what would be best for this state in governing it. So why the hell are we fighting with 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 Joe Reed? Why is Joe Reed your 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 nemesis in this thing? Why are why are we allowing these petty differences between people who are mostly like minded in terms of what's best for this state and best for the people to undermine what would be the greater good here. Um, and I don't know why that can't take hold uh, at some point. Uh, and everybody kind of move past this petty, uh, honestly, this petty bullshit. Uh, for for lack of a better term, and and let's uh, you, we're we're captain, you know, you're every, they're fighting over a damn ship that's sinking or has already sunk, uh, you know, and and they're and folks are trying to get it back on top. I it, 
what I know you've tried to remain above this and you've tried to work with people on both sides of this at times. Is there a way forward here that you see among these two groups of people? Is there a way to bury this and stop it? So here's what I would say to the individuals that don't want to get involved because of the perception of Dr. Reed. Let me tell you something. None of these folks have spent 10 minutes with Dr. Reed to really understand or sit down and talk to him because if they did, they would have a different perception. We always want to make somebody the boogeyman and we want to always play the blame game. But let me tell you something. You know, if there's no Joe Reed, there's no Anthony James and many other individuals uh, that are elected officials throughout the state of Alabama, particularly in rural communities uh, and urban areas uh, that are running in various districts. And so there would be no Joe Reed. And so I think I mean, no um, Anthony Daniels or any other elected official. And I think at the end of the day, um, these are things that those individuals that have been sitting on the sidelines getting their news from individuals instead of getting the facts should understand. Number two, um, the election of Senator Jones was one of the times that I've seen Democrats all unite and come together in 2017 for a common good. Until we get back to the days of focusing on the common good, then our success is not going to be great long-term. And so I would just urge individuals that are out here listening to talking heads to get to know the source and the person before they cast judgment and understand, uh, you know, the, the things that they've had to endure and the things that they've had to do in order to pave the way for folks like me to be in elected office. That's number one. And then on the other side of this issue, uh, I'm not sure why there are two sides, right? Um, at the end of the day, um, Senator Jones uh, supported um, uh, the party structure during his time as, as senator and before uh, financial going to speak at any to any group that he'd been invited to speak to. And so I think at the end of the day, folks are trying to choose a side when there's really not a side. Right. Let's let's at the end of the day, Anthony Daniels don't dislike Doug Jones, nor do I dislike Joe Reed. I appreciate the contributions for both of them. Right. And so at the end of the day, you don't have to choose a side. The only side that all of us should be united on is the Democratic side and the principles that we abide by as Democrats and the things that we care about. Those are that's the side that we should be be on. And then the other thing is for me, um, I don't necessarily, I focus more on outcomes than anything and what's going to get us to a desired uh, target. That's what I focus on. All of the stuff that does not have anything to do with, that doesn't have anything to do with electing qualified Democrats and turning out the votes to help them get elected, I don't care about from a political standpoint. All these sidebar conversations, these different groups that forms when they get mad at this person or get mad at that person or don't think you're doing this uh, enough of this, enough of that. 
Well, hell, I tell them, get on the road and spend 90% of the time on the road trying to help people um, that uh, get elected in the state of Alabama as a volunteer. Okay. So let's, 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 let's make certain that we understand that these are volunteer jobs. Being a part of the party's structure, those are volunteer jobs. And so we can't afford to lose anyone. And then there, there are individuals that come along and say, oh, uh, you know, we can do it this way. This is a new way of doing it. Well, let me tell you something. There is no new way. You can modernize the strategy, but the foundations are still the same. And there are folks that have been doing it since you were born. Right. And then you want to. So your only only thing you're doing. And when you hear individuals talk like that, they're further dividing an already minority group. And what I mean by minority is meaning that from a Democratic perspective, based upon the, the, the outcomes of the statewide election. Right. And we're missing the boat on people that don't vote in every election, which is about five hundred thousand people that are likely Democrats that sit out cycles. And as long as they see us fighting and the end fighting, guess what? They're not going to bother to come out. If we can't get it together, what makes us think that we can get them to, to, to support us? We can't. Well, listen, um, you know, I, I've said it before. and I, I give you a hard time, uh, you know, but everybody knows I'm joking uh, because they also hear, you know, every week here that I, I give you uh, great praise for, for what you do. And, and I, because and I, it's, Honestly, it's because I think, you know, what, what you say makes a lot of sense and, and the results speak for themselves uh, in terms of, you know, recruiting candidates and identifying races and, and fundraising and all the things that go into building a successful party and um, and, and remaining above this uh, this this petty fray uh, that's out there. I, I, I mean, I, I appreciate the work that you do. And uh, and I just think. Um, Hopefully we're going to get to that point at, at some point, but listen, I know you're on the road and you've taken some, you know, you've taken time to, to deal with us and, uh, and bad cell service in the state of Alabama and, um, you know, and all the other problems that, 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 that goes along with, but, um, uh, I, well, thank you. Thank you for, for the efforts and, uh, and for talking about this. I think it's very informative and I hope a lot of people will listen to you and, uh, and take in what you said yeah, and, and maybe absolutely. act on it. Well, man, I appreciate you guys for kind of staying the course, uh, despite folks and other outlets and that I've called out this morning, for example, where I called out a number of outlets this morning and basically saying that I guess hopefully you'll start um, providing more coverage to uh, where you're seeing women being arrested uh, in different places uh, as a result of this abortion uh ban total abortion ban that we uh passed in 2019 uh that doesn't provide uh an exception for rape and incest and very little clarity of the life of the mother and so um hopefully at some point it will get the desired news coverage uh throughout the state of Alabama that it needs to inform people as to what's legal and what's not and what the state of affairs are there as well as the legislation that was passed uh, that um, provide, uh, give, uh, allow individuals that may be mentally ill uh, and denied an access to, to carry uh, a weapon. Uh, now we're giving those individuals an opportunity to carry a weapon without getting a permit in January. That has nothing to do uh, with your, 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 your amendment uh, to bear arms. Uh, to two totally different conversations uh, that they try to put into one. 
Uh, and so until we start educating people and we have the appropriate news coverage and balance that we need in this state, um, then things are not going to change because folks receive mm. the news as a gospel. And, to, and, 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 and when they're receiving news that is not necessarily slanted one way based upon the advertisement dollars, then we'll get back to some type of um, moderation in this, in this state and in this country. Yeah. Well, I hope that that, uh, that comes fairly soon. And, um, and, you know, we're, we're going to, we're going to continue to do our part uh, uh, as much as we can uh, out there, but uh, Hey, just uh, thank you for coming on and, and spending some time uh, with us and, uh, and talking about all this. Yeah. We, we really do Absolutely. appreciate it. Uh, um, that, uh, that is, uh, that is Anthony Daniels, uh, house minority leader. We're going to slide out of here. We'll come back in just a minute. Alabama politics this week. Everybody, if you would uh, like an opportunity to interact with us here at uh, Alabama Politics this week, uh, we've got a great way for you to do that. Uh, shoot a question over to apwproducer at gmail.com. That's apwproducer at gmail.com. Anything about Alabama politics you want to know about, uh, I don't know, what, what everybody likes to drink or uh, where everybody likes to hang out or you know, whatever, whatever your question may be. Uh, what chances the Democrats might have uh, in the uh, the upcoming midterm elections? Uh, shoot us a question over at apwproducer at gmail.com. apwproducer at gmail.com. Thanks. All righty. Welcome back. Uh, Alabama politics this week. Josh Moon, David Person. Uh, it's always good to have Anthony on. Uh, even when his phone is screwing up, yeah, uh, it's uh, it's always nice to have him on and get that perspective of things. And um, and I, I I wish more people would adopt his perspective on the party. Um, it's uh, I think it's the correct one uh, to have, and uh, and he's exactly right. Um, once you know Democrats start making some gains, you know, well then you can go back and have your petty fights if you'd like to. But uh, right. until then, you're just you look kind of foolish, you know, really yeah. fighting each other over this. But um, yeah, you know, I also wanted to uh, before we get out and do our right wing nuts and all that. Um, have a have a conversation about your column uh, mm-hmm. that you wrote uh, about Talladega College, yeah, um, and the treatment of some women uh, on the on the campus there. And uh, I guess kind of tell people if you don't mind uh, what what's what's going on there uh, with a little bit of background and um, because it it honestly uh, was very similar to me to another situation at another university in this state that happened a few years back. And, and I'll, mm. you know, so, but yeah, if you wouldn't mind, I, cause I'm, I'm sure most people aren't aware of what's happening over there. Yeah. It's a really uh, disturbing situation. So uh, three women who were housekeepers there, I guess one, I guess one is still on the payroll. Uh, but the other two are not no longer on the payroll. These women, these three women's names, um, are uh, I think she pronounces it Shanta Williams, Ella Wyckoff, and Don Gray. Uh, they filed a lawsuit alleging that uh, they were subjected to sexual harassment 
and that they also were deprived of overtime. Mm-hmm. And and these allegations actually overlap um, each other. And then they also allege that they were punished uh, for uh, reporting the um, the incidents of sexual harassment. So an example is uh, one of them uh, alleges that uh, there was a party that that she was uh, invited to, well, not even invited, I guess, but was was told she had to work at. Mm-hmm. Um, and this party took place at the house of then-President Billy Hawkins. He's no longer the president there. Um, but at this party, she was invited by a college official to go down to the basement of the house and to participate in what was described also as a party. Mm -hmm. So you got this main event going on at the president's house, but then she's told, hey, I'd like for you to go downstairs to this, this other event within an event. And, but the stipulation was, now remember what happens in the basement stays in the basement. Yeah, well then I'm not going to the basement, you know. That's, right. Yeah. Right. Right. You know, so things like that and unwanted touching um and being and being encouraged uh these women were housekeepers all three of them and they were encouraged when they would attend these functions they were encouraged to dress uh, not in their uniforms, but to dress in what was described as casual clothes. I don't know exactly what that means, but you know we can probably infer from that certain a certain style of dress, perhaps. And and they were encouraged to socialize, quote unquote, with the men at the party. Mm. And and you know again, if these men weren't necessarily identified uh, in every case, but you, you get the impression that uh, we're talking about uh, men who were either college officials or uh, influencers, you know, mm-hmm. powerful people, maybe supporters, maybe powerful alumni, whatever. And uh, it's just a really sleazy kind of situation. And then when they reported, you know, some of these, you know, the unwanted touching and the harassment and whatever, uh, they were basically told, you know, stop griping, stop complaining, you know, uh, and told this, they say, they were told this by the HR officials at the school. Um, and then they also, apparently, it sounds as though when working these parties and perhaps even other uh, events, uh, they were not being compensated. So they were there not being compensated for overtime. And then being subjected to, uh, you know, unwanted sexual advances and whatnot. That's that's the picture that emerges from the allegations in this lawsuit. Terrible. Just, absolutely. I mean, just absolutely. I, I don't I don't understand. I, I just don't understand. You know, there, there are all these stories that came out of the of the Me Too uh, movement mm-hmm. that, that that started taking place, and there were these these stories of just these egregious gross behavior by by men um and i'll be honest with you 
if you told me that somebody had, I mean, if you just come up and say, did you hear what Harvey Weinstein did that, uh, that he, you know, basically took his clothes off and just started walking around in front of ex actress, you know, or whatever, or, or, or you put that on a more local level and said, you know, the president of this university or the uh, board member of this university started doing X with it. I, I mean, I would have been like, what? No way. That didn't happen. I mean, I can't even, some of the things that people were doing, I just can't even wrap my head around. Like, what are yeah. you talking? What? They did what? You know? Yeah. And I, I don't understand this. I mean, I assume it's, it's, it's a power thing and, and it's, um, you know, they, be, they believe that they are owed this subservience from people that is mind-boggling to me. I, I don't, I don't understand why you would treat people that way, I, or or think that people would entertain that nonsense. And uh, and it, you know, there was a story. What what this brought kind of brought to mind to me was uh, several years back there were these allegations that were related to Auburn and and um, the use of these. Uh, it was like a hosts and hostess. Uh, folks that would that would escort recruits around, um, and you know a lot of the hostesses were very attractive young you know college girls, and you know there were these allegations of of them being, uh, you know asked to do. I don't know if that it was it was probably more along the lines of what you were talking about. We just show up and be friendly and you know and and flirty and uh you know and do these sorts of, and and a lot of people were rightfully outraged by that. Uh there were some allegations when I covered Alabama State uh football, uh Alabama State University football of of strippers being used at recruiting mm. parties. Um wow. you know they, they at that point there, there were allegations that the coaches had bought these strippers for the players and the players had had come back and was like, what? No, we pulled all of our money and we hired these strippers. You know, there was no hiding it. Nobody hid it mm. at all. Um, and as a matter of fact, I talked to one of the girls who who worked the party. And um, mm. and so, you know, the, these sorts of things take place, obviously, uh, a lot. And I, I don't. I've never understood this mindset among people. Is that that? Uh, Surely there are people like me that just think going to such a party and watching people behave that way is off-putting, right? right? Yeah, I would, I would think so. And, and I mean, even as a, you know, I'm, I'm a single man now. I'm, you know, I haven't been married for several years, and uh, but even I, I think as a single man, would be uncomfortable in a situation where it would, it was obvious that there were women there who were. Uh, there specifically, uh-huh. you know, uh, for such a purpose and, and under coercion or, or undue influence. I mean, it, it's one thing if you, you know, if you're, if you're all sort of, of equal status, meaning mm-hmm. and when I say status, I'm, I'm talking about, um, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not elevating one group of people over another sure, I know what you mean. in terms yeah. of yeah. character or Certainly. values, but yeah. just in terms of the economics of it and right. the power dynamics of it. Right. Yes. You know, that's, that's one thing, you know, but, and, and, and people, if they want to, uh, you know, mingle or flirt or even go further, that's okay. They're grown people, consenting yeah. adults, that's their business. But, but the idea of, 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 of coercing, uh, 
and using power dynamics to attempt to coerce women into such situations is just, that's revolting. It's disgusting. Uh, or men, if it were men being forced into that, it would, same thing. It would yeah. be hor- it would be horrible and disgusting. But we know, you know, routinely it seems to be that it is women who are put in this situation and that they are put in that situation uh, more often than not by men. Yeah. And, and that's very disturbing. You know, it, it, um, I think that there is a, well, let me, let me, before I say that, let me say this. And I indicated this in the column. Uh, I have a source who has done quite a lot of work on HBCU campuses around the country. Uh, I won't say in what capacity because uh, I, I I told her that I would just share this on back. You know, she shared it with me on background. Mm-hmm. But she said to me that this sort of corruption is not unique to Talladega College. She said to me that she absolutely believes that it happened at Talladega College, just like these women have alleged. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I talked to another, uh, and I didn't put this in the column, but I talked to another, uh, someone else that I know who works at uh, one of the HBCUs in our state. And I shared the story with him. And he's a he's a an official at one of the HBCUs, and he said pretty much the same thing. He was said, "Yeah, you know, um, unfortunately, this is probably true, and unfortunately, some variation of this theme is not unusual." Which really, Josh, led me to the 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 line of thought that. You know, of course, this is bad no matter where it happens, Mm -hmm. right? But it's particularly disturbing that it would happen at an HBCU because of what these institutions were founded for and because of what their missions are. And and many of them, especially the private ones like Talladega, have a religious, uh, some sort of religious orientation, uh, that's part of their origin story or that's built into their culture. And it's just really, really um, disturbing that in far too many cases, it appears as though officials at some of these institutions just, you know, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to use a very, uh, 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 (laughs) I'm going to use a very graphic uh, uh, description here, but they seem to just piss all over this history and this legacy. And these missions, you know, they just don't seem to care. Mm -hmm. And they just see, they seem to, some of them seem to just see these institutions as opportunities for them to either enrich themselves or to gratify themselves sexually or something like that. And that's really, as an, as an alumnus of an HBCU, actually too, because I also attended Alabama A&M University in addition to Oakland University, it really bothers me. Yeah. It really, really bothers me. I, I understand that. Um, you know, I, I want to say, and I'm, 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 I'm not in any way saying that you're doing this, uh, but, you know, I, I, won't, I do want to be fair and say that these these things certainly happen as well. And they've been well documented at, at predominantly white institutions as well. Sure. Um, and sure. and I, I just, you know, I feel like honestly, I feel like in, in some ways I, I mistreated uh, ASU 
uh, for for some years because the advertiser did not provide uh, an equal coverage of similar things that were taking place at Auburn, Alabama, uh, AUM, other 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 you know public universities. The way I was covering Alabama State um, mm. and, and turning some things that were uh, fairly petty into stories that were you know uh, they were rightfully covered, I think, but I think it, it presented an unfair portrait of Alabama State because uh, you didn't have the context of things happening on a grander scale at some of these other universities. So uh, I'm always kind of, you know, careful of that uh, now going forward, because I, I do think that I, I, I did that. But, uh, and, but I, I'll say you're, you're right. And, you know, and there, there's a story uh, that I, that I know of involving um, some things that happened uh, at a party much like this. It was, this one was at an HBCU um, and in which uh, the girls were then later used uh, and photos of the girls were later used as leverage to, to coerce a, uh, someone to, to resign. Um, oh my God. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and we, we know the person uh, that was kind of behind that. Uh, so, hmm. um, and listen, it, uh, though these things, you're, you're right. They, they've gone on at a lot of places and it cheapens um, what, uh, and I understand, I understand the feeling that you have too, though, about that. It's it, because it, it, so many people fought so hard over obstacles that should not have been in their way uh, to, to get, uh, you know, these HBCUs up and running and to make sure they were protected and then to see people misuse them uh, in, in such a manner is, is disheartening. Um, and, um, you know, and I, you know, that was, that was always, uh, one of the things that I said when I was covering, covering ASU, I wish that so many people could see how, how much a lot of people really care and cherish what that university meant to them and their community. Um, and, and that's why they were so outraged a lot of times. And why a lot of those stories became stories was because they were so outraged that people were misusing um, their university, you know, and they, I mean, mm -hmm. they had taken ownership of that university kind of in their hearts, you know, and, and that's the reason why they felt the way that they did about it and, and why they pushed, you know, some stories and were so outraged about it. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, it just, it's, it's disappointing to just watch people mistreat each other in, in such a way and to, and to hold power over somebody else's head in, in such a way like that and to demean them and make them feel, you know, just terrible. I mean, just, I mean, mm -hmm. those, those poor, you know, the poor women that, you know, those allegations are true. Of, of course mm -hmm. we have, you know, they, there's some, some standard there to, to make sure that the people are, are, are guilty out of this, but, um, you know, it, it just to, to treat them in that way, it, they're, they're just trying to go and do a job and, and go home to their families and, and pay the bills. Yeah. And, and this, it just is disgusting. Honestly, it really is. You, you know, as both of us have said in this conversation, uh, this happens in other places. This sure. is not something that's, uh, you know, it's not necessarily new, unique to HBCUs. But I do think it resonates differently. And, and, I, and I say that, yeah, I'll tell you a quick story. Um, the late Dr. Henry Bradford, uh, who's pastor emeritus at uh, Church Street Cumberland Presbyterian Church, uh, in Huntsville. Uh, he was the chaplain at Alabama A&M University for some, you know, like 40 years or right. something like that. Um, 
I sat in his living room or his den uh, one afternoon. I was interviewing him uh, for something that was really not related to, uh, or at least not directly related to uh, a situation like this. But he was telling me, and, and this really uh, was eye-opening for me at that time, you know, uh, 20 plus years ago when he told me this. He said that, um, he said that back in the 40s, I believe it was, the 1940s, when J.F. Drake, uh, for whom Drake State Technical uh, Community and Technical College is named, or, uh, is named when J.F. Drake was president of Alabama A&M University, he said that, 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 that Dr. Drake or, or President Drake had to literally go down to the legislature in Montgomery and he said, and he put it this way, he said, hat in hand, meaning in a posture of extreme humility and beg for money mm-hmm. to, to uh, support the operation of Alabama A&M University. Uh, you know, and this was before the big lawsuit that changed the funding dynamic in our state as it relates to HBCUs and predominantly white institutions. So, you know, when you think about that, that this man had to literally go down there and beg for money so that this school could continue to operate. And when you think about the fact that I know there are many families who, and churches who put together little pennies and nickels and quarters and and dollar bills, you know, especially, you know, in the early years of these institutions, probably up until maybe the 70s or 80s when when more black people were affluent and they had access to Pell Grants and so forth. Mm -hmm. People put together little bits of money to send young people off to college, you know, to try to... um, you know, better themselves and have greater opportunity. When you look at all of that, that's a part of that legacy. And then you hear about some college official that's doing something so callous and so heinous, you know, uh, you know, alleged to have done so. It's just, it's, it just makes me mad and it makes me sad. You know, um, it's such a disservice to the legacy of these institutions. Yeah, it's a, you know, and I'll I'll bring up another, you know, know, along the same lines, uh, you know, there were stories of of Levi Watkins, uh, you know, Donald Watkins' uh, father, uh, who was the president of Alabama State University, having to essentially play a role of being, uh, I wouldn't say subservient, but at least friendly uh, with George Wallace. Uh, you know, back during the uh, civil rights era. Uh, mm-hmm. So he could maintain the funding to keep Alabama State University open. While at the same time, a group led by women, um, you know, Joanne Robinson, uh, were were over there essentially, you know, charting the path for this. Uh, you know, were intricate player, integral players in the 
uh, in the civil rights movement, uh, you yeah. know, using using Alabama State University, at, I believe at that time it was Alabama State College or Teachers College or something along those lines. But they were mm-hmm. using their resources there uh, to print up flyers, to organize meetings, to uh, basically organize. You know, they, they they kept bus boycott going on. You know, it started several years it started several years before Levi Watkins became president. The bo- the boycott did, but he became president in '62 and uh, was uh, you know was was there during the heart of, you know, the, the Dr. King's movement and, um, and it just, a, a lot of the, the bombings and things that went on in, um, uh, in Montgomery. And, um, and, and so, yeah, you're right, man. These, these, these places were key components to some of the greatest civil rights achievements in, in history, in the world. And, mm-hmm. and to watch people then, trample upon the rights of others is 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 disheartening uh you know and and that's i understand it completely uh, i do and um uh you know obviously uh, i think you know I, I i didn't attend an hbcu i'm i'm, I'm not a black person uh you know i, I know that's surprising yeah. to anybody who's seen me <laughs> um and so uh <laughs> but, but you could have though you could have attended an HBCU. I could have, yes, I could have, yeah, and uh, yeah. and I, I, I listen. I, I love uh, ASU. I, love, I have a, a ton of friends. I, I love Quentin. You know, we've had Quentin Ross on. Is uh, one yeah. of my one of my good friends, and and I, yeah. I, I I love the guy to death. I think he's done a great job there, and um, I, I you know there's so many good people from ASU, including uh, one of their great board members, uh, Doctor Reed, uh, who who ran mm-hmm. them. You know, had similar fights over there. At times uh, at uh, at the university, and I, you know, I, I just I have a lot of respect for uh, the establishment and the survival uh, and the achievements of the historically black colleges in this state. Um, none of them, none of them, had an easy pathway to existence, um, right. and and so I, I just it, you know it, it, it does it bothers me a lot to to see uh, to see some of those folks. Uh, it bothers me to see them be mistreated uh, in, in a bunch of different ways, and they have been historically, and, we, and that's pretty well documented. And mm-hmm. and also for the folks on the inside, uh, not to kind of uphold the standards of the legacy uh, of people that, that went before. Yeah, that's just yeah. But um, right wing nuts. Yeah, it's an easy transition. How about that transition, people? Um, <laughs> uh, it's going to be the eagle form. Of Alabama, yeah. uh, and and I don't know unless you've read uh, the Alabama Political Reporter, you pro- you probably don't know about this. Uh, but uh, the uh, the Eagle Forum was uh, was issued a subpoena by the Department of Justice uh, to ex- exam. They would like to examine their role in helping craft one of the most hateful pieces of legislation that has come along in quite some time. That was. Uh, Labeled some sort of child protection act, uh, which and it was absolutely the opposite. It was uh, basically preventing uh, children uh, with uh, gender dysphoria from receiving treatments, mm-hmm. uh, you know, medically approved uh, treatments that were not permanent treatments. There were no surgeries being performed on any of these right. minors, uh, and and all of those treatments followed a multi-month, multi-step. Uh, process in which these kids went through things, including tons of counseling with their parents and or guardians and uh, to help them overcome these things. And uh, the Eagle Forum, uh, you know, was part of this group, along with Eric Johnston and his 
group of lawyers, quote unquote, uh, that uh, helped draft the legislation uh, that that you know ended up being passed because God knows there was no Republican there that could have in the legislature that could have done it on their own uh, that would have mm. been willing to. Any of the people who would be willing to could not have written it. All right, and trust me mm. on that. I've seen their emails and text messages. They couldn't have spelled most of the words. All right. Okay. Okay. Uh, just believe, I believe me. You. I could show I you some emails from some of these people, and uh, the your 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 issue is one of their least uh, uh, problems uh, in some of this. Uh, uh-huh. I mean, my God, the grammar and spelling. Uh, but hmm. um, yeah, so. Listen, they couldn't they couldn't have done it. And so they got these outside groups to do this. And it was all politically motivated. And I don't know. Other than just examining what they're what they were about. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what the DOJ is is looking for. The only thing I could assume is that they were approaching this from a religious standpoint of whether or not religion played a role in this. And mm. if so, uh, did the bill violate some religious protections or, you know, protections against you know, whatever? Um, and so I, I but I don't know that. That's just I was just trying to, you know, guess at what their their goal is and in, in subpoenaing these records. But they want a lot of records. They want records of their interactions and uh, fundraising and all sorts of stuff. Right. And I, and I think the reason there are a couple of reasons why I think the Eagle Forum is a good choice for right wing nut of the week. The first one you've already sort of alluded to, which is uh, their very opposition to uh, these procedures. Uh, it, it flies in the face of a lot of the, the the very things that they claim to espouse, like parental rights and mm-hmm. and and government not intervening in family matters and that sort right. of thing, right? Yeah. So you got that. The Perfect sort of, uh, hypocrisy. Perfect hypocrisy. Yeah, that's yes. right. The sort of embedded hypocrisy here. But another reason why I think uh, they're a good selection for right wing none of the ne- of, of right wing none of the week is because they're characterizing these subpoenas or this subpoena as a quote blatant attack on free speech (laughs) that's really laughable that's laughable nobody is saying that the eagle forum can't take whatever crazy position they want to take Mm -hmm. on on sexuality or, or 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 trans children or trans families, they can take whatever crazy or hateful position they want to take. Mm -hmm. Nobody's stopping them from doing that. What this is about is trying to determine, as you said, whether to what extent there's a connection between the Eagle Forum and this legislation and what the implications are constitutionally. That's fair. Yeah. That's something that is within the Justice Department's purview. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, I got to tell you, I, I, I'm going to quote Tabitha Eisner, all right? And I'm going to read okay. from her quote that we had in the story on APR, all right? Okay. Because I honestly, I, I think it's a, a fantastic quote. Um, this bill is discriminatory and goes against established law, giving parents the right to control a child's medical care. The Eagle Forum was founded on a commitment to gender discrimination, and this legislation follows predictably in that sad tradition. Mrs. Gerritsen and uh, Becky Gerritsen, which you probably know from her grandstanding uh, uh Attempts at tax evasion when she was running the um, what was that? What, what were they called? Oh, those Tea Party, Tea Party, 
remember when the Tea Party, Party was a thing? Yeah, remember when, the, when they were just wanting their rights, man? They were just mm. they were just poor, rich white people that were being persecuted for following <laughs> tax laws like everybody else. You know, God mm. bless them. Uh, this lady got got made it all the way to Congress to to cry about that horseshit. Uh, Mrs. Garrison and her team uh, has written legislation that will potentially go to the Supreme Court, but she apparently didn't expect to have to defend it. They want to play in the big leagues, but they still want all the safety of T-ball. Free speech means that the government can't stop you from lying or expressing a discriminatory opinion, but that doesn't mean there are never any consequences for lying or discriminating. The parents of transgender children who have sought an injunction against this law could choose to remain silent and allow this law to hurt their children. Instead, they choose to speak out and fight this law, knowing that there will be consequences. They bravely took that risk, and I hope the women of Eagle Forum will learn from them what it looks like to stand behind your words and actions. Mm. I mean, Tabitha. yeah, yeah, she had, uh, you know, she just uh, uh, basically picked up the glove and slapped him across the face and then walked off. And, uh, you know, and I mean, God bless her for it. God bless her for saying it. It needed to be said. And, um, these people need to to butt out of um, as as a Republican strategist once told me in referring to the Eagle Forum. It's three poorly dressed ladies in a basement somewhere coming up with this shit. OK, <laughs> he said that. That's funny. <laughs> oh, this was a she who said that. So oh, was a she. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. oh yes. she said so. that. Okay, that's even funnier. Yeah, it is. Right. Wow. <laughs> All right. Uh, wow. You think we've given these people enough? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. We're not even charging yet for this. God. We fixed everybody's problems. Everybody's. From a national level to a local level to even the nuts. All right. We're getting out of here. Till next week. Y'all be safe out there. Peace. (laughs) 